Imagine a church where every member is passionately, wholeheartedly, and recklessly calling the shots. I have a busy work week, and by the time Sunday rolls around, I'm tired. So how about a church service that starts when I get there? Can do. When you arrive, we begin. This guy, he plays by his own rules. We want to find a church where if he starts screaming, we're not the bad guys. Say no more. If your baby's screaming, you stay seated. The others around you can leave. You know, financially, Sherry and I don't give a lot to the church, but we'd sure like to know who does. All right, if you join now, you'll know what every person gives in detail. When I'm in the church service, can my car get a buff and a wax? Not just that, but an oil change and a tune-up. Hey, how about tickets to the Super Bowl? That's asking too much. I'm serious. If I'm going to join, I want tickets to the big game. All right, you join now, and we'll get you there. I like a pony. Look in your backyard. Me Church, where it's all about you. Oh, ho, ho. How many enjoy having fun in the house of God? You know, Sunday should be a celebration of God's goodness. And I love going to a church that likes to have fear land during the offering song. Some of you will get that later. That was an awesome song, wasn't it? In fact, I, I think I want them to come and do How many want to hear it again at the end of the service today on the way out? That was fun. Well, week two of Dangerous Church, we are learning today how to transition and transform a safe church into a dangerous church. See, have you ever met someone that said, I'm just not a church person? I'm just not a church person. I've been, I don't know how many times I've, I've heard that in life where they say, you know, I, I like Jesus, don't really like the church. You know, I love, Je- I love God, but I don't really like church people. See, Gandhi said, I would be a Christian if it wasn't for Christians. Gandhi said, I like your Jesus, I just don't like your followers. See, why do people feel that way? Why do people think that way? See, why do people check out of church the same way I checked out of algebra and geometry when I was in eighth grade? Because I didn't see any way that would ever be practical or relevant in my life. And that's the way many people feel about the church, and they just check out. They don't understand how the church will ever benefit them, how the church will ever help them, and they just come week after week out of religious obligation, and they typically view the church with some sort of weirdness or boringness, and it just doesn't make any sense to them. It's, it's safe. It's a safe church. You know, how many had the safety rules growing up? How many, ever, how many of you parents had ever given the safety rules to your children? Don't jump on the bed. Why? Because I broke my leg when I was four years old, bouncing off the bed. My son jumped off the couch, broke his leg. It's, I think it's just a, a generational thing in my family. Don't jump off the bed. Don't swim after eating because you'll cramp up and die. I heard that growing up. Don't run with scissors. How many have ever had a parent that said, don't run? with? How many have ever had to tell a child, don't run with scissors? How many ever heard this one growing up? Don't play with your belly button. It could unravel you. You know, the, the reality is we, we, we've developed the same safety rules in the church. We've developed our church safety rules. Don't offend anybody. Keep everyone happy. Build the me church where it's all about you. Don't talk about controversial issues in the church. Don't preach about having a great sex life. 
in the church. We don't talk about sex in the church. You know what? If you're married, you should have the, our church should have the best sex life of any church in town, our married couples. Some of you need to go home this afternoon and have a nooner. Yes, I just said that in church. Don't talk about, don't talk about tithing. God forbid somebody gets upset. Don't change anything. How many of you know 1950s was God's decade and everything should be done the way it was done in the 50s? Don't change anything. The other day we were doing some consulting with, with the church, uh, with, with a group that I was a part of, and the elders said, well, we just fired the pastor. And we we're examining the situation to find out why they fired the pastor. And they said, well, you wouldn't believe what the pastor did. We hired this new pastor. He came into our church. All of a sudden, people started getting saved. People started coming to our church, and they just messed the place up. I mean, you don't understand. Somebody walked into our church with a tattoo. It was terrible. And then all of a sudden, these people that are getting saved, the pastor got them involved. He let them serve. And it was just, you know, we're showing up on Sunday, and all of a sudden, somebody's telling us where to park, and there's people at the door showing us. It was horrific. So they fired the pastor, and one of the elders said, thank God we got our church back. I mean, how many know how real that is in America today? See, the problem is we have these safe churches that are built where we don't offend anyone. We don't want to rock the boat. We're still going to do it the way we did it in the 50s because that was God's decade. And But when you study the Bible and you look at the New Testament church, you find it was radically different. It was dangerous. It was crazy to be involved in the New Testament church. That's why we have a dangerous mission at Coastline. You've heard me say it over and over. What is our mission? Make it hard for people to go to hell. That's our mission as a church. We want to make it hard for people to go to hell, and we want to help people become fully devoted followers of Christ. And the reality is this dangerous church series may rock some of your thinking about what church should be. Because let me explain something to you. Here at Coastline, we will do anything short of sinning to reach people for the gospel. We are unapologetically evangelistic and discipleship-oriented by nature. We want to see people saved and transformed and trained and equipped and sent out to the four corners of the world for the gospel of Jesus. See, a dangerous church is a church that ordinary people can come in and they can be saved and they can be transformed. But a safe church is a church that wants to keep the ordinary out. We don't want them messing up our church. If they want to come to our church, they need to look like us. They need to dress like us. They need to act like us. They need to look right. They need to talk our language if they come to our church. We're not going to accept them unless they learn how to talk our language. Brother, bless God, hallelujah, shout, hallelujah. I went to a Swedish pastor's conference a couple years ago and in Sweden. And you know what? Church is the same everywhere you go in the world. They taught me a few simple phrases in Swedish on how to survive. It was their language. It, was their, it wasn't the Swedish language. It was the Swedish pastor's language. Prisahan, tak Jesus. Prisahan, bruda, tak Jesus. And I walked around the entire conference just saying those two statements over and over, and nobody knew I was an American. Just talk their language. You know, if you talk their language, you can fit in. You can be accepted. You don't have to be changed. You don't have to be confronted. You don't have to get to know everyone. You just put your Sunday mask on. You show up, and you talk the language. You look the part, and you act the part, and then you can go on with your life doing whatever you want to do. 
And the reality is, for many people, the safest place you will ever go where you'll never be confronted, you'll never be challenged, and you'll never be changed is the church. Safe. But see, the fact is, something dangerous begins to take place when people encounter a holy God. Something dangerous begins to take place when you get yourself around Jesus. And I want to look at three things God does when he wants to transform a safe church into a dangerous church. Three things that need to begin to happen inside of each of you individually and inside of us as a body, inside of us as a whole. The first thing, God wants to transform ordinary people into extraordinary faith and extraordinary action, extraordinary things. God wants to use ordinary people to do extraordinary things in the kingdom. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that these were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. What was taking place? Amazing things were beginning to pour out in the New Testament church. There were miracles. There were healings. The day of Pentecost, thousands were added to the church. And all of a sudden, the people started scratching their heads because they couldn't figure out why God was moving in such a miraculous way because they're scratching their heads. They're looking at Peter and John, and they're saying, how in the world is this possible? These are uneducated. They are ordinary. They are untrained. They are just normal, average people. How is God doing such miracles and such incredible things through these uneducated, untrained, ordinary men? It didn't make sense. And then they realized, well, they had been with Jesus. Something happens when you get around Jesus. Something happens when you start walking with Jesus. Things begin to take place. There's a boldness. There's a power. There's an authority that comes on your life when you get into the presence of Jesus. Look at this. This word in the Greek, this word untrained, some Bibles translated as ordinary. This word untrained in the Greek is the actual Greek word idiotes. Idiotes, which is the Greek word that we get the English word idiot. I'm not joking with you. The actual translation of this verse is these were uneducated idiots. That's what the Bible is saying about Peter and John. I love it because we just have a church full of idiots. And guess what? I'm the chief idiot of all. I love the fact that God uses idiots to do big things in the kingdom. Because if I had to be smart to do this job, we'd be in a whole world of trouble. I was at, a, I was at a, one of these formal banquet dinners, and they had this very formal pastor. Very, you know what I'm talking about, the, you know, the, the robe-wearing pastors, and they're formal, and they speak in the King James, and it's, Thou, brother, it's great to see thine self in the house of thy Lord. And he got up to pray, and he goes, Oh, dear Heavenly Father, without thee are thou precious Lordest, we are only but dust. And this little girl leaned over to her mom, Mom, what's butt dust? And I thought, you know what? That about sums it up. We're all butt dust. See, when you learn how to spend time with Jesus, he will transform the ordinary into extraordinary. But the problem is, is when you as an ordinary person begins to believe that God uses extraordinary people, it gives you a license not to try. 
See, if you believe that the people on the stage and the people on television and all these great men and women of God are extraordinary people, it gives you the excuse not to do anything because you're looking at yourself saying, well, I'm just an ordinary person, but that's why I like God because right in the Word, he says, look, Peter and John were a bunch of idiots and yet miracles were happening and a church was exploding and things were going on because these idiots decided to believe God for crazy things. I wish I could tell you the vision God gave me for this church, but it would scare half of you to death. It would just shock you, the stuff that God's speaking to me about what he wants Coastline to do. Why? Because we're believing God at this church for crazy things. We're believing God for the extraordinary. We're, think about this. When Jesus left heaven and earth, and, or when it, excuse me, when Jesus left heaven and he came to earth to establish his kingdom on earth and birth the New Testament church and release a few people to go into all the world and establish this Christian system that would take the gospel for generations to come, who did Jesus invite to be on his team? He didn't invite one Pharisee. He didn't invite one scribe. He didn't invite one Sadducee. He didn't invite one rabbi. He invited these uneducated, idiotic fishermen, completely unqualified for the job. And Jesus said, why don't you join my team and let's do something big for the kingdom. Then Jesus goes over and he calls a tax collector. Who are the tax collectors? They were the most despised and hated men of the generation. And he says, why don't you guys, you wicked guys in Wall Street that collapse the economy in America, everyone hates you, you're greedy, why don't you come join my team and change the world? That's what Jesus was doing. He he called prostitutes to be on his team. He called the ordinary, the broken, the lonely, the outcast, and he transformed. He even had people with tattoos. You say, where does it say in the Bible? I don't know if it says it in the Bible, but I believe it. He called the ordinary people to be extraordinary world changers, and that's what we read in the New Testament. You see, we got it all backwards in America. Uncle Sam won't call you unless you're healthy. But the fact is, Jesus didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. He came for the broken. He came for the outcasts. He came for the neglected. Jesus didn't come for those that were already convinced. He came for the doubters and the skeptics. He even put doubters and skeptics on his ministry team. I mean, Thomas had struggles with believing in him, and Jesus put him on the team. I love it. I love the fact that I can be an idiot and serve God. I love the fact that I don't have to have it all together and figure it all out and know what's going on. I can just trust God and believe God and do it. Nike, I think, has it best. Just do it. Acts chapter 19, 11 and 12. Look at this with me. Now, God worked unusual miracles. Some translations say extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and evil spirits went out of them. God, Now, who did the miracles? We all know it was God. But God did the miracles by the hand of Paul. How many of you understand this morning it takes willing vessels to see miracles? It takes willing vessels to serve God. It says God did the miracle by the hand of Paul. What miracles is God doing by your hands? That's the question this morning. What are you allowing God to do through you? Are you allowing God to do the extraordinary through your little ordinary life? 
That's the question. See, I, you know, why did God use idiots? This is why I think God used idiots. Because we're just dumb enough and naive enough to believe what he said. I remember when I first became a pastor, it was literally nine months after I got saved. Nine months. You want to tell, you know, you think I was the idiot. You know, the people who made me a pastor after nine months, they were the idiots. I hadn't been to Bible college or theological seminary, and thank God, because no one ever taught me that the miracles that happen in the Bible, I didn't have a liberal theologian professor teach me the miracles that happen in the Bible. Well, that was for the New Testament days, and well, God works differently today. How many have ever heard that said by somebody? You know, the things that happen in the Bible, that's, you know, that, that was wonderful, but that's not the way God moves today. God does it differently today. I didn't, no one ever taught me that. I was just dumb enough to believe what the book said. I remember we were at a prayer meeting, and this couple who had been coming to our church, they came to the prayer meeting, and they came up, and they said, Pastor Aaron, pray for me. And I said, what's going on? And they said, well, and she told me the story, and I don't exactly understand the whole medical, uh, uh, whatever happened, but when she was a child, she had an infection in her ovaries, and they had to remove the ovaries, making it physically impossible for her to get pregnant. And this couple wanted a child so bad. They wanted to be parents more than anything in life, and they came to the prayer. And see, no one ever told me that God didn't move today. So I just believed what the Bible said. I was dumb. I was stupid. I was just naive. So I just said, okay, fine. And it wasn't some beautiful, eloquent, you know, masterful prayer that I learned in some college. It was just, God, heal her. Let them have a child. They want a baby. Let her get pregnant. Do a miracle. And I didn't understand it. I just believed what the Word said. The Word said God can heal the sick, and I prayed for her. A couple weeks later, I'm praying at the altars. Probably about a, a month and a half later, I'm praying at the altars uh, for people at the end of the service. And all of a sudden, this guy comes running in the back of the church. We'd never seen him before. He had these wide eyes. He runs up and looks at me like I'm, I'm you know, I don't know what. It's like I was some kind of ghost or super being or something. He looks at me and goes, you got my friend's wife pregnant. <laughs> in front of everybody. I'm saying, man, I didn't get anybody pregnant. I don't know your friend's wife. He'd never been to, he was an atheist. He'd never been to church. He didn't know what was going on. He just knew that his friend's wife couldn't get pregnant, and now she was pregnant, and he thought I did it. I tell you, God loves to use idiots. Amen. Before I get into the next point, you know, I was reading an article a few years ago in Christianity Today, and it asked a really interesting question. It asked the question, what is the biggest business in your town? And I thought, what would the biggest business in North County be? I mean, there's, uh, I guess, Qualcomm in the San Diego area. There's the Marine Base. There's Walmart. These are all big businesses. And I thought maybe they were the big businesses. And the article went on to say that in virtually every town in America today, the biggest business is God's business the local church. Now, don't freak out. I know some of you are sitting there saying, well, the church isn't a business. Well, then how come every time Jesus taught on the kingdom of God, he used business illustrations to teach it? He said, the kingdom of God is like, this is what the kingdom of God is like. If you want to understand the kingdom, here's a story. And every, none of the stories he ever told had to do with synagogues or, or rabbis. It was always local businessmen, farmers, agricultural, uh, finance, so there is an element of business in the kingdom of God. And guess what? Our business is the most important business in the world because it's not about money. It's about souls. If we don't do our job, people go to hell. Do you understand? There is no greater business than the local church because our business is life or death. It is heaven or hell for a community. Whether or not 
we do our job. So it goes on to say, you know, what's the biggest business? And then it said, what's the wealthiest business in your community? I said, okay, that's definitely not the church because I know a ton of broke churches all over the place. And it said, well, the wealth of the church is not simply what the church has in the bank accounts, but it's the collected body of members and all the, the personal assets and personal wealth of the entire body of Christ. And I thought, you know what? He's probably right. If you add up all the Christians in the North County, there's probably not a business that, that has more wealth than the entire body of Christ collectively uh, here in the North County. It goes on to say, what's the most durable and strongest business in your community? Well, can you name me one business in the North County that's been around for 2,000 years? I mean, even the Roman Empire tried to completely stamp out the church. They tried to kill every Christian and kill the New Testament church. And last I checked, the Roman Empire doesn't exist today, but the local church is still thriving, it's still growing, and it's still moving forward in communities all over the world. So when you think about the longevity of God's business, it's still here 2,000 years later. So what are the reasons then? If, if God's business is the biggest business, it's the wealthiest business, it's, it's the most longevity business, then the question is how come we're not making a bigger impact in our communities? If all of that is true, which it is, why aren't we changing our communities more than we are today? Well, I think one of the reasons is because we're too busy competing with each other than completing one another. I think one of the reasons is we're more interested on the name on the front of the building than we are in the name of our Lord and Savior. And I think probably one of the biggest reasons, especially here in America, why we are not more powerful and more strong in our communities is because we have uh, American Christians who have become better at being spiritual consumers than they are at being spiritual contributors, we're better at consuming than we are contributing. And one of the things that God does when he transforms a safe church into a dangerous church is he will transform Christian consumers into Christian contributors. You can't stay the same. Something happens. You get moved by the call of God in your life, and it's not enough to sit in the bleachers anymore. You've got to get out of the bleachers. You've got to get down on the field, and you've got to start pulling together on the same team, contributing for what God has. Acts chapter 2, verse 44 and 45. Acts 2, 44, 45. See, when you read this, I want you to realize something. As, you, as we read this scripture in a moment, realize these were regular people. They were people that had families and kids just like you. They had bills. They had the stress of life. They're just trying to make it. They're trying to get ahead. They're trying to just get a little bit of room to breathe. They're just like you. See, a lot of times we read these stories and think these were all super Christians that had it all together. They, weren't, they were ordinary people just like you, trying to get by, working a nine-to-five job, trying to get a little room to breathe, trying to get a little bit of a break. And then what happens when they began to experience biblical community? Look at verse 44 and verse 45. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and good and divided them among all as anyone had need. Now I know a lot of times people have misinterpreted this passage of Scripture to, to support some socialist, communist philosophy, but that's not what it's talking about. They didn't just sell everything, divide it up, and give everybody an equal amount. No, what that meant was the people that had need were taken care of by the people who had blessing. 
That's what it's talking about. It's the body of Christ pulling together so that when we see a brother or sister in our church that has need, that has struggling, those of us that have been blessed surround them and help them get through that trial, help them get through that situation because we have all things in common. That's what it's talking about. And imagine if us looking at our resources, our time, our money, our gifts, rather saying they're mine. Instead, we say they're God's. Do you realize there is not one single need in our city that we could not meet as the church if we started acting like the church? Not one single thing we couldn't. The government has tried and they failed. Think about it. What what would happen if all of our Christian consumers became Christian contributors in the North County? And let me say this, for for those of you that are just visiting our church, for those of you that are just kind of kicking the tires on Christianity, trying to figure this whole thing out, I want you to consume. That is your job. I don't want you to give. I don't want you to volunteer. I just want you to try to figure us out. Just try to see what God consumed. We are here for your consumption. So this is not towards you. I'm not directing this point towards you. So, So in a moment when I get very tough on some people, realize I'm not talking about you. We are here for you. But let me give a very strong disclaimer. The majority of this church, and I know the most of you, are giving wonderful, incredible people. You're serving on Sundays. You're serving during the week. You're giving. You're a part of this place. You're contributing. But there's a a minority group in our church that likes to be Christian consumers. So those of you that are contributing, just zone me out for the next couple minutes because I'm about to give a very tough rebuke to a few people. Can you handle it? Let me say some. There's been a long time that people have given to make this church what it is. There's people who've given well above their tithe to provide this building for you. There are families that have sacrificed. There are people that have given to provide that comfortable chair you're sitting in. And you come week after week after week consuming, consuming, consuming off of the sacrifice and the giving and the heart of people and never want thought twice to contribute. And you know who I'm talking to. You know who you are right now. You show up every week, you walk through these doors, and there's someone there to shake your hands and love on you, and you never once thought about volunteering to serve people on Sunday. You drop your children off in the kids' ministry, and you let somebody else love and disciple and care for your kid, and you never once thought about giving an hour of your time to serve somebody else's children by volunteering in kids' ministry. Because we have made it a lifestyle of the church in America to become great consumers instead of great contributors, and it's a tragedy in our society. You know what one of the popular trends in America is? You don't know how many times I've seen this. Somebody shows up to one church for the worship. I like that church for the worship. Then I go over to this church for the preaching, and then I drop my kids off at this church because they've got a better Oana program, and then, I take my, and then I go to my women's Bible study over here because they do a better women's Bible study, and then we get angry and complain that the church can't meet our needs. Well, let me explain something to you. The church is not there to meet your needs. The church is not there for you. You are there for the church. I didn't show up to your house this morning spoon-feeding you your breakfast. So don't get mad to, well, I'm not being fed. Feed yourself. Open the word of God and start eating. 
Don't whine because you can't find the perfect church that has the perfect everything. Jump on board and realize you're part of making the church great. You are there to contribute. You are there to serve. It is an honor to serve. You don't have to serve at Coastline because we don't need people to serve at Coastline. My God will supply all of our needs. Now, we want you to serve. We have an exciting opportunities for you to serve. But you don't have to serve. You get to serve. There's a big difference. So I don't have to be the pastor here. I get to be the pastor here. It is an honor. It is a blessing. God is giving me more than anything I could ever possibly give as a pastor. And so it's not a chore. It's not a responsibility. It is a gift. It is an honor. I get to serve. See, the church isn't here for us. We are here for the church. Can you handle that this morning? See, God is transforming us from a safe church, from a holy huddle to protect ourselves, to a movement in our society that is going to transform our communities for the kingdom of God. But it takes people getting on board. It takes people contributing time, talent, treasure to make this thing happen. And it's an honor to be able to contribute in the house of God. Let me get to the last point. The last point. First, God changes ordinary and extraordinary. Then God changes consumers and the contributors. And the last thing God does when he wants to take a safe church to a dangerous church is he transforms the living to the dead. I know some of you are crying heresy right now. That's not what the Bible, God, God raises the dead. God, God turns the death to life. That is true. But before Jesus takes the dead and makes it living, he takes the living and makes it dead. Look at Galatians 2 and verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ that lives in me. The life which I now have live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, I have to die, not a physical death. I'm still alive, but I have to die to my flesh. I gotta die to my sin. I gotta die to the old nature, the old Aaron Jane. It's a spiritual death. I remember I had a friend uh, who grew up with me, visited our church in Los Angeles years ago, and, and uh, he told one of my staff members, he said, man, you gotta, you know, you don't know your pastor, do you? And, and he said, what do you mean? He goes, man, I remember when, the, Aaron Jane used to throw F-bombs all over the place, and I saw him in a tennis match one day. He broke three tennis rackets, threw the tennis racket, used more F-bombs than I've ever heard in my life. And I thought, oh, no, 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 that's a different Aaron Jane. That Aaron Jane died. What do, what do you mean? Well, who's this? He, no, no, that, was an, that Aaron Jane died a long time ago. Pastor Aaron is a completely different Aaron. And see, that's what happens is you have to die daily. And let me tell you something, F-bomb was the least of my sins. I was not always Pastor Aaron. There was an old nature that I had to kill. There was an old person I had to crucify. And thank God, as far as the east is from the west, God removes our sins. Thank God, God will take broken, imperfect, messed up sinners and idiots and transform them into new creations and new children. And every once in a while, the old Aaron Jane tries to get back in. I said, wait a second, you're dead, get out. Old Aaron Jane comes to new Aaron Jane, says, I'm back. No, you're not. Boom, cut your head off. Because it's not a one-time thing. i got to cut his head off all the flipping time. Sometimes I wish he would just die once and for all so I didn't have to deal with it. But old Aaron, cut, cut. I mean, it's like those zombie movies that just keep coming back over and over. 
It's a daily thing. Paul says, Galatians 6, verse 14. God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What a beautiful verse. See, your pastor this morning, I can't brag in Aaron Jane. There's nothing to brag about. What God is doing here, it's not because I, mean, I, can't, I, I can't take credit for it. God is doing something very special right now at Coastline, but I can't boast in it. I can't take credit for it. I can't because it has nothing to do with me. It's God. I've got to boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. It's only through the cross of Jesus Christ that any of this can take place. I boast in nothing of my own effort, nothing of myself, nothing of my own abilities. See, I've got to kill Aaron Jane on a regular basis and boast in the cross of Christ. So the question I want to ask you this morning, what areas in your life do you need to kill? What parts of that old nature do you need to kill this morning? That old person pops up at his head, I'm back. Some of you know it's not a, I wish it was a one-time thing where I could just kill old Aaron Jane. I'd be perfect the rest of my life. But, man, that's just not the reality. We got to do it daily. We got to die daily. We got to kill ourselves on a daily basis. Because it keeps popping up and you cut the head off. And it keeps popping up and you cut... What do you need to kill today? What's popping its head up in your life? What's holding you back? What have you not been willing to crucify? What have you not been willing to kill in your life? You say, well, I've killed these areas. Yeah, but you haven't killed it all. See, the old hymn doesn't say, I surrender some. I surrender some. Some to Jesus. I surrender I surrender some. <laughs> See, for a lot of us, that's the song we tried to sing for a long time. But there comes a point where you've got to lay it all down and say, Jesus, I surrender all. I surrender all to Jesus. I surrender. I surrender all. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Before I go any further... Every week, we give an opportunity for people who are not currently following Jesus to make a decision to follow Jesus. Because there's some of you that are just visiting today, you're just checking out this whole thing, but something to begin to grip you as you are in this service. Jesus began to knock on your heart. Jesus began to say, I'd like to come and live inside of you. I'd like to allow you to become that new creation. I'd like to give you an extraordinary life, even though you're just an ordinary person. And the first step of that is to make a decision this morning to follow Jesus Christ. Because you can honestly say, you may say that I'm a spiritual person, but you can honestly say, I don't follow Jesus. I'm a spiritual person, but I don't follow Jesus. Maybe you're nothing. Maybe you're just dry and you're cold and you need Jesus. Whatever situation you're in this morning, if you need to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ today, with no one looking around, I'd like you to raise your hand so that I can say a prayer for you. Would you raise your hand if you want to make a decision to follow Jesus today, right now? Just raise your hand so I can see you. Thank you. Raise your hand. Anyone else? Anyone else? 
Church, pray this prayer after me to encourage those that are making that decision this morning. Say, dear God, I need another chance. I come to you and I lay it all down. Forgive me. I give you my entire life. You are my Savior. And I make you my Lord. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Stand up with me as we close. I want to sing that chorus again. Oh God, you are my God. And we're going to make this our prayer. And just for a few moments, I want you to just center your mind on Christ. Center your heart on Christ. As you sing these words, begin to crucify areas in your life. Begin to surrender those areas. God, you are my God, and I'm going to give up that area to you. I'm going to let you kill this area in my life. I'm going to let you crucify this. Some of you are going to sing this song, and as you're singing, God, you are my God, you're going to say, God, I don't want to be a consumer anymore. I don't want to sit on the sidelines. I want to jump on the field. I want to join the team. I want to be a part of what you're doing. Some of you are going to sing this song and struggling with this ordinary state of life, and you're going to start to believe God for crazy things in your life. You're going to start to believe God for extraordinary miracles to happen at your hand. Just the way God used the hand of Paul, you're going to start believing God to do crazy things with your hand. In your business, in your career, in your marriage, when you're parenting with your children and your families. Collectively as a church, we're going to start believing God for crazy things. Let's just sing that right now as a prayer to God. Oh God, you are my God. And I will ever praise you. Oh God, you are my God. My God. And I seek you in the morning and I will learn to walk in your ways and step by step you'll lead me and I will follow you all of my days Lord that is our dream that is our desire that's our passion, our cry, and our prayer. Thank you for being our God, for being the one true living God.